0: we can expect to be made fun of for our beliefs in jesus here's pastor ed taylor as many people are here tonight somebody this week is going to meet a scoffer and they're going to undermine they're going to make fun of you because you believe in the coming of the lord i it's in a room this many people are listening to this there is definitely going to be someone or more than one that will meet a scoffer and they will do this they will they will say where is the promise of his coming and it comes in a lot of different ways. We've all heard some form of this. Oh, you believe in Jesus. Oh, he's going to come from the clouds. You know, my grandma used to say, my great-grandma, I used to be in church. And he hasn't come yet. He hasn't come yet. And that's what you need to emphasize. Yeah, that's right. He hasn't come yet. But he's coming.
1: This is amazing grace. Whether it's at work, in the classroom, or through the TV, we encounter scoffers almost on a daily basis. And as believers, there are a few things to remember when you do. We'll talk about that today on Abounding Grace. We're in 2 Peter chapter 3 with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're highlighting God's answers concerning scoffers. Would you turn over to 2 Timothy
0: chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's writing again to a pastor about leading the church. To so young Timothy, and notice what he says, pretty powerful words. He says in verse 3, chapter 4, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, Do the work of the evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Now, it's easy to take a verse like this and apply it immediately to unbelievers. And to think, Paul's telling Timothy, you got to understand, buddy, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to raise up teachers for themselves uh, and they're going to turn their side to fables and such. But a careful reading of this, this is not an application to unbelievers. He is writing about the church. He is writing about you. It's a warning for, Pete, for young Timothy to understand. It's a warning for you tonight. That there's a time that will come where in sound doctrine will not be endured. And when sound doctrine, that steady, constant teaching of the Bible. Just like Paul would say in, in the book of Acts. We'll get there in our study where he said, I'm not shunned to give you the whole counsel of God. The whole Bible. The whole Bible is what we teach here. Teaching sound. Doctrine, sound teaching is what you could say there. Time will come when they, if you'd like to write in your Bible, circle that word they and just write next to it, church. If you want to really be bold and have a warning in your Bible, put me. There will come a time when maybe I will not endure sound doctrine. And then what will be replaced sound doctrine? I don't want to exegete this text, but you gotta see it. What replaces sound doctrine? Their own desires and itching ears. They want to hear something, they they have to hear something. And when you have itching ears, this is what you want to hear. Someone that agrees with you. You already have your mind made up. You already have your desires. So you're going to hunt around for someone that agrees with you. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. Away from the truth and aside to fables, fairy tales. You could also write next to that word theories. You could write next to that word in the day in which we live, conspiracy theories. They'll be more important to people than the word of God. It'll be more emphasized than the word of God. It'll be consume people. And then they'll only listen to people that agree with their theories. And you want to come back to the word of God in times of great difficulty. You want to come back to the word of God and be careful. Come back to Peter now, with this in mind. Notice what Peter says. I want to remind you of the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets. This is the Old Testament. He says, I want to get you back to the Word. He says, in times of difficulty, and all these voices, you've got to get back to the Word. And of the commandment of the apostles. So there's already some of the New Testament written by this time. So you've got all of the Old Testament and the New Testament that's been written and codified in the canon already. It wasn't church councils that put the Bible together. The Holy Spirit put the Bible together. Part of the New Testament's already together by the time Peter's writing. It's already been accepted by the early church. So he says, you got to get back to the Word. Stay close to the Word. Make sure the Word of God is in you and around you. And not only this, in verse 2, I want you to notice that the Old Testament and the New Testament from the Holy Spirit here in Peter is put on equal ground. Equal ground. Because you know how sometimes people will come to you and go, oh, you know, the New Testament is more important than the Old Testament. No. The Bible says all Scripture is inspired of God and profitable. All of it. It's the whole one unit. It's one book made up of 66 separate books. So he says, notice in verse three, knowing this first, okay, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. Next to the scoffers, you could also write mockers or laughers, but you could say making fun of. Those that would make fun of you, they scoff. You know, we don't use that word much anymore, but you, you would know a scoffer as someone that likes to make fun of you because of your faith, likes to make fun of you because of what you believe, and precisely that you believe not only in Jesus, but you believe he's going to return. And so they make fun of you, they want to minimize you. They want to make you feel dumb. I don't know how many of you have ever felt dumb, but I have felt dumb, or at least somebody attempted to make me feel dumb for my beliefs. You know, they'll come and they're just like, lay some heavy trip on you, some heavy burden. And you're like, man, I'm not as smart as them. And I kind of feel dumb. I wish I was smart like them. My simple faith in Jesus wasn't enough. And it stumbles you. And that's very normal. In the last days, you're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see that. That's going to be the primary message of the world in which you live. I mean, in the on television today, on on cable, on Netflix, on on the news, in, on websites, not so much the newspaper anymore, but on websites, on drudgery. It's just like making fun, making fun, making fun, making fun constantly. You probably hear it and read it so much you don't even notice it anymore. But it has a way of wearing you down. It has a way of wearing you down. And in the wrong day, at the wrong moment, you become very susceptible to be- believing a lie. So what does Peter say? Before technology, I mean, it's even worse for us now than it was for them then. But even before technology, he goes, you just got to understand, there's going to be people in the last days, make fun of you, scoff at the things of God, and they're walking according to their own lusts, their own self-centeredness. Remember, lust is a general word. It often is referred to sexual lust, but lust is simply a word that describes self-centeredness, where you are willing to satisfy yourself at any cost. It is often often used to describe the kind of feeling or the kind of attitude that you might take to someone of the opposite sex and you lust after them and you want them and you desire them in a sexual way just to satisfy yourself and you lust that. But a lot of people lust. They lust after money. They, They lust after power. They lust after position. Lust is a general word and it's a strong desire to satisfy yourself at any cost. So he says, that's how they're living. They want to take advantage of you. They want to undermine your faith. According to 2 Corinthians 3, they have hard hearts attacking the word of God, attacking simple faith. Notice, he says in verse 4, this is what they'll say. Where is the promise of his coming? For the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Scoffers and mockers. They will mock. They will, they, they're imposter, imposters, false prophets. And they'll come, as we'll see in Jude, they'll come. They're sensual. They cause divisions. They don't have the spirit. And they'll say there is no God. You know what the Bible says in Psalm 53.1? It says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So they're foolish. Don't give them any attention. Don't give your ear to them. Don't give your ear to fools. Don't even entertain it. Cut it off. This is really, this section here in verse 4 is the very essence of the humanistic theory of evolution. It's right here. There, that there's no change. That this phrase that, that they continue from the beginning of creation is the very seed of evolution and humanistic. No God. There's no God. If there's no God, then we have to replace him with some theory. And so, man, Darwin, Darwin comes. He becomes very popular undermining the, the sense that there is a God. And you go, well, well then where did man come from? Well, he, you know, there's all kinds of different theories, right? He oozed up from some slime and then formed an eyeball. That eyeball grew into a monkey and monkey grew into a person. And ultimately, whatever theory, big bang, little bang, whatever theory is popular now, millions of years, billions of years, it's all changing because it's all just a theory. The essence of it is there is no God. And let me tell you, if there is no God in your life, or you are the God of your own life, little G, then there's no accountability. And you know what people do without accountability? Really bad things. They serve their own lusts. When you have no accountability, then you can define morality. And it's always a moving target. For many, many years, for many years, I would encourage my pastor friends when it came to those borderline behaviors to not refer to the law, the law of the land, you know, the legal system as a way to say, don't do that behavior. For example, when it came to smoking marijuana or taking CBD or any of that, people would ask, well, pastor, should I do that? Should I do that? And I say, no, it's not wise to do that. And I would give them a biblical answer. I would say the Bible tells us that we're to be uh, controlled by the Holy Spirit, not by another substance, the Bible tells us that we're to be sober-minded and we're, we're to be in a place where we can, re, we can commune with God with a clear head. And so I would strongly encourage, I wouldn't say, oh no, don't, drink, don't smoke pot because it's against the law. And the reason why you don't want to use the legal system is simply this, the laws change. The laws change. Look where we are today. Look where we are and what's being suggested today. You, you think of, of abortion, the topic of abortion. The abortion is a slap in the face of God. It's not a a matter of law, although it would be nice for it to be against the law. But for the woman considering abortion today, it is not simply a woman's choice. But even though it might be a choice a woman can make, it is a choice of the one that has no voice, the human being in your womb. It's not the law of the land. As much as we would want the law of the land to reflect the morality of God, we understand that those in places of authority, they don't know God. As a matter of fact, not only do they not know God, what do they say? There is no God. And so it becomes a matter of morality. Biba, who? And you go, well, Ed, well, you know, I can, I, I, well, whose morality? God's morality. God's morality. It goes back to the word. He established what's good for us. What should we take in our bodies, what we shouldn't? How we should treat the unborn? What what do we do for those who have no voice? We stand up for them. We speak out for them. Don't take advantage of them. That came from God. We need to come back to his word. The mocker is not only that. Well, then they'll go right for the heart of every Christian now. They'll undermine all the time that I spent to encourage you looking for the soon return of the Lord. We all clap. We're all excited. It's encouraging. And then you're going to meet somebody. Some of you, as many people are here tonight, somebody this week is going to meet a scoffer. And they're going to undermine. They're going to make fun of you because you believe in the coming of the Lord. I, it's in a room, this, and many people listening to this, there is definitely going to be someone or more than one that will meet a scoffer. And they will do this. They will, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? And it comes in a lot of different ways. We've all heard some form of this. Oh, you believe in Jesus. Oh, he's going to come from the clouds. You know, my grandma used to say, my great-grandma, I used to be in church, and he hasn't come yet. He hasn't come yet. And that's what you need to emphasize. Yeah, that's right. He hasn't come yet, but he's coming. You can bank your life on it. He promised he would return, and while we wait, We wait faithfully serving, loving, and caring, shining the light in a dark world. It's not an escapism. Let me show you something before we go. Would you turn over to Luke chapter 8 here? Or excuse me, Luke chapter 21. And I want to draw your attention to verse 8. Luke chapter 21. We are faced in a very upside down world right now. It is dark and it is scary. The foundations of morality and decency are upended. Even many of the laws of our own land, based upon God's word, and even those that believed in a form of God, had the, many of the founding fathers were Christians, many of them were deists, and at least they believed in God. They believed that there was a God, and they formed many of the laws based upon the word of God. And, and here they are, all that being undermined. And Jesus taught us not to be deceived, not to be tricked, not to be lied to. And it's not trusting the word of a pastor. You test everything that's said by a pastor by the word of God. You, you take the word of God. Even in the New Testament, you're going to learn that when Paul taught something, they tested what Paul said. They didn't take him at his word, they studied the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. And notice here in verse 8 of chapter 21, Jesus says, Take heed that you're not deceived. Take heed that you're not deceived, because many are going to come in my name saying, I'm he. The time is drawn near. Don't go after them. When you hear of wars and commotions, don't be terrified. For these things must come to pass first, but the end's not there immediately. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Great earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilences. There'll be fearful sights, great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they'll lay their hands on you and persecute you and deliver you up to synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. It'll turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. It'll it'll turn out for you. You'll be thrown in prison for your faith. That's an opportunity for testimony. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to lose things for your faith. It's an opportunity for testimony. So settle in your hearts, he says, to meditate beforehand, not to meditate beforehand, what you're going to answer. Another word, don't worry. Don't worry. I'll give you a mouth. Verse 15, wisdom for which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Listen to this, verse 16, you'll be betrayed by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they'll send some of you to your death. You'll be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. And in your patience, possess your souls. In your patience. It's really good, church, as we head out today, and we head out, some of you are going to go to work, most of us are going to go to sleep. A little bit later tonight, it's good for us to take inventory of our lives, to really assess where we are, to really assess what we believe in, uh, to really examine our faith in light of eternity, in light of the last days, in light of the concerns of our day, in light of what I've been calling the wild and wacky days in which we're living. I, I texted that out again today. This is just wild i mean, I've got friends all over the country facing all, all over the world, really. And every time I'm just like, wow, it's, I don't even know what to say. So that's just wild. That's just, I, I don't even know what to say. Got to keep our eyes on the Lord. I, I mean, may the Lord just crucify that part of us that thinks we have to have an answer for everything. We don't have to have, I don't know. What do you think, Ed? I don't know. Let's pray. <laughs> Let's pray. I don't know. What's God going to do? I don't know. He's coming back, though. There's a lot I don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know. Jesus promised to return. He promised, even these teachings he gives to the early church, even to the, say, look, don't worry about it. It's going to get harder. Don't worry about it. It's going to get harder. I'll be with you. It's going to get harder. You won't even know what to say, but I'll give you words. It, not, even, it, not even a hair of your head is going to be lost. <laughs> it's like, even for us that don't have many, we like that. Not a hair of, not, it's not, you're going to be. not going to be lost. But that's not what he means. He means, look, you're going to be taken care of because don't fear man that can kill the body. You have a fear of God. Don't worry about what man can do to you. They have no power or control over you. Don't worry about it. Trust him. I need to make my calling and election sure. I need to affirm my commitment to follow Jesus no matter what. The things of this world are hints of his soon return, church. It has to be a reality in our lives. It must be. The world is a place where no one will be able to save it from the clutches of the evil decisions of man. That's what the Bible says. The world is a place we will not be able to to take away the clutches of evil in this world. We'll shine the light and dispel the darkness. But remember prior to the flood, where every intent of the thoughts of man's heart, the Bible says, was evil continually, Genesis chapter 6. And all that we're facing personally right now, disrupting our lives, taking away our comforts, undoing our routines challenging us with things that are unfair, unjust, and hard. I don't want you to forget that what you're experiencing, your next-door neighbor is experiencing. And what you're experiencing, your boss is experiencing. And your coworker. That's what global means. The world is under the sway of the wicked one. The world. It's not unique to just the church. The world is experiencing the sway of the wicked one. But what makes it different for you is you live with eternal hope. And so it makes sense that the events of this world would want to snuff out your hope. And not even talk about hope anymore. Not even talk about goodness anymore. Not even talk about the love of Christ anymore. Not even talk about the triumph of hope and love that comes from the return of Christ. That when a man or a woman is born again, immediate love invades that life and invades that home. These are warning shots, gang. What we're seeing in the world today, these are warning shots. These are shots over the bow. The Lord is coming back. These are announcements. Jesus said, look up for your redemption draws near. These are open doors for the gospel like never before. We get to share the love of Christ and give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Like in Peter's day, It happens to be in the bed of suffering. It happens to be in the bed of suffering and persecution and great difficulty that God's going to use as a launching pad for the gospel to go into the world. Things are going to get harder. But stand fast, church. God is faithful. He's reliable. And Jesus Christ is returning soon. Amen.
1: This is Abounding Grace, and you're listening to a message from pastor and Bible teacher Ed Taylor. It's part of a study in 2 Peter. Catch a replay when you visit aboundinggraceradio.com. If you haven't already downloaded the free app, simply search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. We also have a podcast Pastor Ed, as you said today, we'll encounter scoffers or mockers from time to time, but how do we handle it when it's someone very close to us, like, say, our spouse? Well, Larry, that is challenging, right? Because mockers and scoffers are hard
0: enough in and of themselves, and it becomes a much more difficult situation when there's someone close to you, someone you love, even within your marriage. But here's the thing. We want to be very careful. Uh, we don't want to respond with to mockery with mockery. We don't want to jump in and be a troublemaker when the Lord has called us to be a peacemaker. And when it comes to our spouse, we don't even their difficulty mockers making fun of. We don't want that to usurp what we've been called to do as a husband. I've been called to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And that means, um, you know, Jesus was mocked and he responded in love, you know, as wives their calling primarily, I mean, there's a lot of great insight in the scriptures, but that primary calling is to submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And that that willingness not to make things worse, not to think, make things harder. But I like these two words because they, they rhyme and it helps you remember them. But I always want to be careful. I want to respond carefully and prayerfully. Because if I jump in and I take the bait or... I'm a personally offended by mockery or scoffers and people making fun of Jesus, making fun of me, and it was it would be somebody close. I can make things worse as a spiritual man if I choose to respond with the flesh and, and the hum, my human part of me and just not walking in the spirit. I, I want to be careful, and I want to be prayerful, and I'm grateful that I am not married to a mocker or a scoffer, but I know many of you are in unequally oak situations uh, that, you know, like Marie and I, we got married as unbelievers and it could have very well been either one of us getting saved and living in this situation like you're living. So let me just pray for you. Father, I know it's a very hard situation when our spouse is a scoffer or a mocker. So I pray for those that are dealing with this right now, that enduring this, you know, maybe listening at work or listening on the road and they're heading home And they know home is going to be very challenging and very difficult. So bless them and encourage them and give them the wisdom in responding to the difficult situation that awaits them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks again for those
1: insights. Here in the month of February, we've picked out an excellent book written by Catherine McDougall titled Ebenezer Stones. You'll see how just an ordinary stone can remind you of our extraordinary God. As you read Ebenezer Stones, you'll be taken on a journey through the many ways that God is faithful in our lives, from bringing us into a relationship with Him to changing us from the inside out, providing for and guiding us and protecting us, too. Read all about it in Ebenezer Stones. And we'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Request your book today by calling us toll-free, 877-30-GRACE. Don't miss our next study in 2 Peter. It's going to be a good one. And may God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace.